0: Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. Our Sunday live stream starts at 10 a.m. at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. Thanks for tuning in.
1: So we have been, uh, again, in, in the uh, book of Ephesians now for, for a while. We're, we're coming to a conclusion. We're wrapping up. Uh, next week Just again, a little teaser. We get to, uh, you know, one of the, the really powerful, powerful sections of not only Ephesians, but really of the New Testament as a whole. Uh, I'm excited and looking forward to that. I say that to preface this morning. Um, we're another one of those passages today that if if we were teaching topically or thematically or something like that, we would probably skip over. Uh, it's, It's challenging on a couple of different levels. On one level, when you first read the passage, it doesn't seem to have much relevance to us in our current situation. And I know that um, you know, most of Scripture, especially most of the New Testament, we we find relevance there. There's always that connection. But this particular passage seems a little disconnected. Um, I hope we can we can look into it and gain some some uh, insight from it. Anyway, the the other thing is, and I'll just uh, this is true confessions. It, it's it's hard to figure out the, the perspective Paul's coming from here. You're going, uh, how how does he get there? Uh, you know, it's it's challenging. So. Um, our title this morning, Let My People Go. The text is uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, just a few verses here. I'm going to uh, pray, and then we'll read those together. So, yes, Jesus, thanks so much for what you're doing in our community through this congregation, through this body right now. And we do ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts this morning that we might be able to look into your word and and really uh, gain Wisdom and insight and life from it today. In your name we pray. Amen. Woo hoo! Okay, go ahead and um, look at the text. Ephesians six five. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. All right. So again, this this passage comes in the context of Paul talking about uh, sort of really family dynamics or household relationships. He talks to, to husbands and wives, parents and children, and then masters and slaves. So they all come under this sort of uh, you know heading of dynamics in the home. Here at this point, though, I, I think we have to really realize how very, very important context is, both historical context and theological context. Our understanding of something, of anything, is is always defined by our experience and our knowledge of that thing. So when we read this passage about slavery probably most of us our mind goes immediately to uh the history of the United States pre civil war uh the atrocity the 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 horrible history of slavery here in this country uh and uh again as uh an illustration to how important context really is realize that pre civil war during the civil war both sides appealed to scripture to support their position. So while the union army appealed to scripture for the, to defend the release of slaves at the same time, the Confederate army would have appealed to scripture in support of having slaves. When you, when we look at the, Overall context of scripture, we realize God's heart, God's heart is always for unity, for equality, for reconciliation. The, the, the ultimate will of God you know, scripture moves forward in time. The ultimate will of God is what we see in Revelation where every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people gathered together around the throne of God, no distinction, no separation, all worshiping him together. That's the plan. That's the hope. That That's what the kingdom of God is is moving toward. And That also has always been the plan. That's something that's been in the heart of God from the very beginning. If you go back to creation, you know, God created Adam and Eve. He created people in his image, and then he gave them dominion over plants and animals. So we tell our dog, come, sit, stay, but we don't say that to our neighbor, right? He gave God, he gave people dominion over things, Creatures, creation, but not dominion over one another. God, moving forward in time, then he rescued the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And then after rescuing them from slavery, he instructs them, I want you to show justice and hospitality to strangers and aliens. I want you, my people, to care for the others around you, not to treat them the way that you have been treated. And then fast forward to... The New Testament, in Jesus' time, in in the first century, slavery was legal, as we just read. Um, Slavery differentiated from our understanding of slavery uh, in several ways. First of all, it was not racial. Slaves in the first century would have been of different races, colors, origins, it was primarily resulted from war. So effectively, slaves were prisoners of war. One country conquered another country, and then those folks were taken into slavery. Instead of being sent off to a prisoner of war camp somewhere, they, they were distributed into households, sold, as it were, uh, and put to work. Other differences were, they were put to work, but they were paid. Slaves in the first century were paid. Now they were not paid a lot. Uh, it was a very—it was not a living wage. It was a little bit. However, over time, a slave could effectively earn enough money to purchase their freedom and be released from slavery. That was a possibility. Whereas, uh, by and large, that was not true of the history of slavery in the United States. Um, you know, it's—it's it's hilarious to me trying to make sense of scripture like this, I reading commentaries this week, I, when I get to a passage like this, I'll typically read four or five different commentaries just to see what different people say about it. And a, a couple of them were sort of equating this passage to employer employee relationships today. That's the thing that this is like. And I was going, okay, some employees might feel like slaves. however, I don't think it's the same. Uh, I I do not see that correlation. So I want to just break this text down and look at it. And then, and then towards the end, I want to try to bring it into the, the present day a little bit. So verse five, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, as you would obey Christ. Other translations, I think both the NAS and the new King James say with, uh, Uh, Fear and trembling there. And that is a phrase, fear and trembling, that Paul is, he likes that phrase. He uses it in several other places. And I want to look at a couple of those. Go ahead and go to the next slide. In Philippians, he says, therefore, my dear friends, he's writing to the Philippian church, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So here, fear and trembling is a positive thing. It's the means by which we submit to God uh, willingly and work out our salvation. And then go one more. Second Corinthians 7, he says, And his affection, his here is Titus. His affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. So in this case, Paul sent Titus to the Corinthian church with, with some information for them and, and some instructions for them. And they received him. They welcomed him into to their midst, he says, with fear and trembling. So as you can see from the different places he uses that phrase, it's really not it's not negative so much as it, it really is a desirable attitude. It's a positive attitude. Uh, it 's a way, a proper way of responding to one another we, You might just translate that to me. It would be humility or humbly We, we humbly submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for christ that that 's the the essence of that he so, so the point there is that he 's not necessarily when he talks about you know fear and trembling he's not indicating to, to those slaves that they live in a place of fear of brutality or abuse and while abuse did exist and violence did exist among uh masters and slaves that's not what paul is referring here to to in, the, in this particular text um go ahead and go to the next verse Verse six, he says, obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as as if you were serving the Lord, not people. And so in this regard, what Paul is asking of the slaves is really no different than he would ask of any Christian anywhere. It's to behave, uh, you know, uprightly, whether they're there watching you or not. And really, we we get that, right? You probably heard it said at some point, character is who you are when no one is looking, right? So what do you do when the boss isn't around? That's the point. Um, uh, Not when just people are watching, but when they're not watching. And he's really, so in that regard, just to asking of slaves, Hey, just, just behave the way that uh, he would ask any other Christians to behave. And then in verse eight, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So there is the promise of a reward it's not stated but it's implied the reward Paul's talking about is a reward in heaven um, and and I think the important point this is this part I think is of benefit to all of us for, for slaves there wasn't much reward on earth and to and this to me is a, re- a real kingdom dynamic. This verse presents a real, a real kingdom reality, because the, the truth is this: in the course of life, there will be people, some of us here, who will experience challenges and and a hardship, and face injustice in, in in life. And some people, more than others, will face great injustices. And sometimes. Uh, and it's tragic. We see this, you hear this, maybe you read a story in the news or someone you know who is a really, really good person. There is just a solid, upstanding person, and yet they go through incredibly difficult times or face incredibly injustice, and it just seems so unfair. It seems so unfair, and and the the, the reality is that, that that's just the way it is. Sometimes life deals us a raw deal, and and that 's why certain certain perspectives when I, when i when I think of kind of the the name it and claim it or prosperity sort of theology, I struggle I have a hard time with that because the truth is that some of us won 't ever experience that reward on earth We, we may walk through difficult times. And or injustice throughout the course of our life. And, and that's just it. That's the best life has to offer. But what Paul's saying here and what Jesus promises us is that on the other side in heaven, there is a reward and that's guaranteed. That's for sure. No matter what we have to go through here, as unfair as it might be, we, we know we can be confident that with him, in him, in the end, will be rewarded. Verse 9, he shifts the focus to the masters. He says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. That's a key phrase. Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So he makes it clear here that there's no special, pri- special privilege for masters over and against the slaves. He says in the same way. So effectively what he's saying is, everything I just said to them also applies to you. So putting that in practical terms, if you take a Sabbath day, then you need to provide a Sabbath day for your slaves. If you have enough food to be healthy and and taken care of, then you need to provide enough food for your slaves also to be healthy and taken care of. Whatever privilege you have, how you are treated, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. That's that's what Paul is saying here. And on top of that, he says don't threaten them. Don't use abuse or the fear, fear of abuse ever. Now, again, and this is the challenge of the whole text really, is that Paul is writing a code of conduct. This is how we behave with one another in households as households were in the first century, which included slaves and masters. He's not writing a treatise on the morality or immorality of slavery. And that's where people get caught up in this text because they think, why does not he just say slavery is wrong? And that's, (laughs) that's another (laughs) whole sermon in regard to sort of how we approach and it's, it's important how we approach injustices and, and certain things in life today. We, and this is very true in the mission field, when missionaries go to other countries that have uh, cultural habits that we would never ascribe to here. You can't just go in and change those things overnight. You have to progressively infiltrate uh, their hearts with the gospel in order to bring about th- those changes um, So uh, all that, he doesn't come out and condemn slavery, which is a challenge for most of us. With that in mind, the overall counsel of Scripture does make it clear, as we said earlier, that human beings are created in the image of God and, and that we are to treat all other human beings as they are also created in the image of God. There's no favoritism with him. We really are all the same. So there you go. That's a very, very difficult text. With that, I, 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 w- I want to take a minute before we close. Um, and, and I, and I want to talk for a minute about uh, the issue of, of slavery uh, as it does relate to today, uh, both here in the United States as well as globally, and And I want to do this just to bring some things to our awareness uh and then give us an opportunity to uh, to uh respond to that so just briefly historically in in our country in eighteen sixty two uh, Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation proclamation that was a a um, executive order the president has the authority to make an executive order. Lincoln did so making slavery illegal in the United States of America. 1963, 100 years later, Martin Luther King made his famous I Have a Dream speech and declared, let freedom ring. And it had been illegal in the United States for that 100-year period of time for one person to own another person. But as we're all aware, that did not stop the level of inequality and injustice in this country, so both of those are are very significant historical milestones uh, in in our country. but globally we we look at the big picture and we realize that uh, slavery, or as it 's more appropriately termed today human trafficking uh, human trafficking is the way that those are, that are involved in that ministry directly prefer uh, th- what's happening currently to be labeled rather than, than modern-day slavery. It hasn't ended, a- and it's epidemic. And even though it's illegal in our country, it still exists in our country. So a few things. First of all, all of these numbers, I'm going to give you our estimates because Obviously, nobody knows for sure, okay? But the best estimates are that about 40 million people worldwide today, 40 million people, are being held against their will. Uh, human trafficking is the third most lucrative illegal enterprise on the planet. The sale of drugs, of course, is the first and probably always will be. The sale of illegal arms is second. And the sale of human beings one to another is third. And that is to the tune of about $150 billion a year. $150 billion a year changes hands in the sale of people one to another. Um, so again, estimates, 600 to 800,000 people are added to that number. 600 to 800,000 people taken into captivity against their will worldwide every year. Of those, 70% are female, and 33%, one-third, are children. So... 50% are uh, taken for the purpose of sexual exploitation. 38% are forced labor. So while we may think that doesn't exist in the world uh, it does. Thirty-eight percent of those uh, forty million people are utilized uh, to make a buck for somebody else. Six percent are uh, into forced criminal activity, and so this is—if you ever read about—or uh, and there's some good books, uh, uh, child soldiers and those kind of things. There, uh, there are. There are people that are taken into captivity that are then forced to commit crimes by others because then if the police or the authorities come and arrest somebody for the crime, well, who do they arrest? They arrest that person that's not there in their own volition doing this thing. They don't arrest the person that's really responsible for it. 1.5%, small number, are forced begging And if you've ever been, I've seen this uh, with us in Latin America. It takes place in other parts of the world as well, but we see it in Latin America. Coming home from a meeting, back to our hotel, it's eleven o'clock at night, and in a busy intersection in the median, in the middle of the street, there's a five-year-old kid with a, with a bag begging for money, and you're sitting there going, "My gosh, you know, where where is that kid's parents? Why are they letting him do that?" And the reality is probably that the parents are not involved that that child is being held against their will. And the person that's taken that child is fully aware that that kid is going to get more money than if he were standing there himself asking for money. So that's why he's put him in the middle of the intersection in the middle of the night asking for money. Small percentage are pressed into forced marriages and uh, organ removal. That's not just in the movies. That's a reality. Uh, so again, overwhelming reality taking place in the world around us that most of us are completely unaware of most of the time so in the United States of America, our country where we live here and now uh, there there are and again these are these are estimated numbers in excess of one hundred thousand people being held against their will. Today. Um, 15,000 or more are added to that number every year, 15,000 people. When you break it down state by state, California is the state with the highest incidence of human trafficking in the nation today, followed uh, not too far behind by Texas and Florida. So, a couple things that you see when you look at the picture that way is that, first of all, of course, uh, you know on one level, those are just states with big populations right so it 's just it 's a numbers thing. The more people, the more often it 's going to happen but you you will also notice those are probably the three states in the nation uh that have the highest population of immigrants they 're all on the southern border and have a high population uh, high immigrant population um, They also all will have which is consistent with that. Pockets of extreme poverty. So, so those are some of the, the most powerful factors in terms of this happening is um, vulnerable people. So, so immigrants are much more vulnerable than other people and impoverished people are more vulnerable than other people. There's very little recourse. For either of those populations, if you are an immigrant and or if you are poor and somebody kidnaps a member of your family, you don't call the FBI right now and say, hey, I need you to go find my kid because they'll come and get you, right? That's the reality of that. And so that's why that's happened. Broken down by city, just to bring it home. Portland is number 21 on the list of cities in the United States. And you go, okay, that's pretty far down the list. You know, that's not so bad. Um, It's nothing to be proud of. And the population uh, percentage thing holds up. Portland is the 25th largest city in the nation. So 25th largest city, 21st in terms of human trafficking. So the reality there being that it's consistent and it happens here too. So I realize this section is off topic a little bit from the text, text talks about slavery. And I wanted to take the opportunity to utilize that just to bring this to our attention, because I think it's an important issue that as people of faith, as Christians, we should be aware of. um, This is one of those things that I think most of us would rather not know about you know, if we, if we don't know about it, then we can pretend that it doesn't exist and we don't have to do anything. But the the truth is it's real. It's out there. It's happening. Uh, so, so what I want to do today is uh, go to the last slide. If you would grace, I want to, point you to an organization called Love 146. This is the, a screenshot of the uh, homepage of their website, and then the web address, love146.org, is at the top. Some of you are aware of them. A few years ago, it's been a while now, some of us walked downtown Portland um, in support of Love 146. They are. A, this is a very, very, very uh, credible organization. I, I normally... Don't recommend, uh, you know, other, other organizations like this to you guys because you never know, right? You recommend something and then five months later you realize you hear that the CEO was embezzling money. And you go, oh, gosh, what happened there? Uh, I happen to, to be very, very familiar with people involved in Love 146. In fact, a very, very dear friend of mine who, as it would be, was in my youth group once um, is uh, very involved in their organization. And so I happen to know that they are a very, very credible organization and do a very good work in the world today. So I would encourage you minimally to check out their website and to gain some information. And then if you feel led, uh, you can donate financially. But they also give you other ways in which, without making financial contribution, you can support their work and help uh, to to uh, come against this uh, dynamic in our in our world today. Okay, why don't we stand? Steph, would you come up and give me a hand here? Help me out.
0: Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Casket Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially please visit cascadevineyard.org slash give. We'll see you next week.